I'm including in, in well in this scripture it talks about the five loaves and and uh, and, and the fish and, and so on. And I was saying how many times I've spoken on this scripture, and this time uh, hopefully we have I have something uh, a different thought and a different way uh, to help our understanding. So let's read Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jose has it on the screen here, and the title of the message is "What Do You Find." What do you find? Some Pharisees and Sadducees were on him again, speaking of Jesus, pressing him to prove himself to them. He told them, you have a saying that goes, red sky at night, sailors delight, and red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. You find it easy enough to forecast the weather. Why can't you read the signs of the times? An evil and wanton generation is always wanting signs and wonders. The only sign you'll get is the Jonah sign. Then he turned on his heels and walked away. On their way to the other side, now they've left them and they're on the boat going across the Sea of Galilee. On their way to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring along bread. In the meantime, Jesus said to them, Keep a sharp eye out for Pharisees and Sadducees' yeast. Thinking he was scolding them for forgetting bread, they discussed in whispers what to do. Jesus knew what they were doing and saying, Why all these worried whispers about forgetting the bread? Runt believers. That's the word I was thinking, trying to think of in Sunday school. Runt believers. Haven't you caught on yet? Don't you remember the five loaves of bread and the 5,000 people? And how many baskets of fragments you picked up? Or the seven loaves that fed 4,000, and how many baskets of leftovers you collected? Haven't you realized yet that bread isn't the problem? The problem is yeast, Pharisees and Sadducees' yeast. Then they got it, that he wasn't concerned about eating, but teaching. The Pharisees, Sadducees kind of teaching. So, you know me, I like to eat. So I like to go to Perkins. That's my, my kind of my stop. And most of the time, you know, you go to Perkins, and it's a normal, it's a normal breakfast. It's a normal time. So, um, but there, this, this week, one time I was there, before I started back to my work at the hospital, um, there was this individual, and he was a very angry man. And he was having breakfast there with, I think it was his son, and during their conversations, this individual, the angry man, uh, not angry birds, angry man, this angry man complained about his kids, which he was talking to. He complained about his wife, the government, ta- complained about the people in the restaurant, the, the, the staff of the restaurant. He complained about his car. He complained about the weather. He complained. I mean, there, was, there wasn't anything he didn't touch on, and he never stopped. He just kept rambling on about everything that was wrong in the world. And everything that was wrong with him. And so I, you know, you're listening to this, and after a while, it's like, why don't you just stop? You know, I know you can be upset over some things, but you can't be upset over everything. Well, I thought of it in the context, he had an infection. (laughs) He had an infection with anger. You know, and there is a mental anger, and there is a mental anger as well as an emotional anger. And the two of them are combined with sometimes a frustration over our life and over our situations, our feelings, and, and the impact 
that they have had upon us. And so they can be based on the pains of life, the unfairness of life, of where we are at in the time, uh, in the time of life, and we can be uh, complaining about it, and then that complaining and that anger can also be combined with fear. Now, I'm, I have really no idea what this individual is so upset about, but his feelings were expressed to his, I think maybe his son, and he was, his feelings were expressed to everyone else in the restaurant because they knew exactly how he felt because he was busy telling everyone how he felt. Perhaps he was trying to prove a point that nothing in life is good anymore. Perhaps in his life, he has seemingly bypassed all of the good things, or all of the good things had bypassed him. And perhaps he's declaring that he is at this point in his life, and it's not what I thought it, thought it would be. And whether it is this individual or ourselves, we can get caught in those situations in the tide of what is going on and not going on, the times of our life that have left us or we have left it, and it has seemingly gone by us. And in the text we have, in chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Some of the Pharisees and Sadducees were on him again, pressing him to prove himself to them. You see, the Pharisees and Sadducees were full of resentment towards Jesus. They had an expectation that the Messiah that everyone was claiming, that many people were claiming that Jesus was, that they had an expectation about Jesus that he would come a certain way and life would be a certain way for them. Because as this executive branch of the religious order, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had it all figured out. They had it all outlined as to what religion is supposed to be, how God, wants them, how God wants people to live, and they were the prime example of it. And they were not afraid to tell you that. They were not afraid to tell you that they were the ideal of what God wanted. Because even in the scripture, it talks about the Pharisee that was praying in the street corner and says, God, and he, this is his prayer, that God, I thank you that I'm not like that wretched sinner over there. So they had a very inflated idea about who they were. And so when Jesus came along and his teachings and his um, fulfillment of the scriptures, they had a resentment towards him. And he was not what they expected a Messiah to be. And so no matter what Jesus said or did, it was never good enough. They wanted, to prove, they wanted Jesus to prove that he was a Messiah and they kept insisting on a sign. They kept insisting that Jesus do something. But what they wanted Jesus to do was for him to produce a sign that they would believe. Now, all of the miracles that Jesus had wrought, all of the, 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 the miracles that he had performed and the teachings that he had spoken... They were all a sign as to who he was, for no man could do what he did unless God was with him. So that's the declaration that is given. But the Pharisees wanted a sign of their own choosing. Okay. They wanted a sign of their own choosing. A lot like, perhaps, the man in the restaurant. 
and sometimes like us, no matter what we have, it's not good enough. No matter what we've done, it's always fallen short. And sometimes we look at our faith and that our faith is something that God must prove himself again and do what we think he should do as God and do it in a way that we will understand it and that we will believe. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, their desire was not for Jesus to do something that would prove who he was. If they wanted Jesus to, to do their, their, their presentation was about tempting him. It was a temptation that they wanted him to fulfill. It's almost like Satan, whenever he had Jesus um, in the desert in the 40 days of fasting, and, and, and Satan comes up to Jesus and said, well, you know, if you're really God, and you know, you've been fasting for 40 days, make this stone bread. Turn this stone into bread. You know, you deserve to eat. And Jesus' reply was that man does not live by bread alone, but by every, everything that comes out of the word of God, of the mouth of God. So there is this temptation, and the, and the Pharisees and Sadducees were presenting what they had in such a way, and their, their needs in such a way, that it was like, if you're really God, like the individuals that were standing at the cross, telling Jesus, if you're really God, come off the cross. If you're really God, why do you have to die? Get off the cross, you get off the cross, and we'll believe. Just like the individual who's very angry at life, because life has somehow not been, not is, to their expectation. So, <clears throat> when Jesus, no matter what Jesus would have said or done, the Pharisees were looking to enslave him. And Jesus spoke of a common practice. It was a very common practice. We even still quote it today. Red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in the morning, sailors warning. Was there a red sky this morning? Anybody up early enough to see it? <laughs> I saw a red sky. Oh no, that was a light in my bedroom. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Now the red, you know, there was a red sky, which you know, you look at that and it's ominous. Why? It's gonna rain. Well, there's this coloration in the sky that God puts there. And it's, no, it's, it's because of the sun and the clouds and the, the atmosphere and the moisture and all those types of things and lack of it. Well, anyhow, I'm not a weatherman, but um, we know those, those little phrases. So Jesus then said it was a common, it was a common telling the, 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 the disciples... It was common for them to be able to interpret maybe the weather by what they saw in the sky, but um, they were not very comfortable and they were not very keen at looking at the scriptures at which they were seemingly the experts at. And so he challenges them to discern the signs of the times. To discern the signs of the times. When I think of the individual who was very angry, what was his discernment of the signs of the times? His, his anger was and his fear was, his frustration was that everything was not good anymore. Everything had somehow passed him by. Had it? 
Had it really passed him by? And the same thing is in our own lives. Are we angry or are we fearful about our life? Remember last week we talked about... What did we talk about last week? Don't worry. Don't worry, be happy. No, I didn't say that. Don't worry. And what does the worry mean? In the, in the, in the German, uh, ancient German word which means to be choked or strangled. And I still didn't look up what the third one was. Choked, strangled, constricted. There we go. How about that? See? Thank you. That the, the three words that go with worry is choke, strangled, and constricted. So worry has the connotation of being choked, strangled, or constricting. So when we are worried about the future, worried about our life, we are seemingly being choked by it. And that it is a, it is a very constricting approach that we would have. And so the Bible says, don't worry, that, but we are to pray about everything. And in our praying, we are expecting God then to help us in that understanding. And that scripture that we spoke of last week said, don't be so preoccupied with getting, okay, that you miss out on God's giving. Getting has a connotation of raking it in, of getting what somebody else has. That's greed. That trying to take in and, and whatever. But don't be so caught up in getting that you miss out on what God is giving. And see, what God is giving is so much more important than the accumulation of things. Having things is not wrong, but the desire of getting without recognizing God's blessing of giving into our life. And I think that this is kind of where this, this idea of anger about life and the frustration over life and the frustration over what is going on in life and having missed out on opportunities that are now past or somehow life has passed us by and we are left without it. Must be the week for it. Uh, this week um, in hospice, there was a patient, and she was went in. Um, this we started back at at the hospital this week. After all those extended weeks of vacation, not healing of my back, I was on vacation. So anyhow, this individual was just crying, crying very intently. Because, didn't really say, but I think, think the realization was life is over. And I can't get it back. And so we prayed. I prayed with her and we, you know, I talked with her. She wasn't a- able to communicate. But the idea was our life isn't over. We have an eternal life with Christ. And so no matter where we are at in the, in, the, in the stages or phases or years of life, we are in a position of being loved by God. We are in a position that God has had his hand upon us. And that life doesn't come to an end because I cease to breathe. Life doesn't come to an end because circumstances have passed us by. 
We believe that God has a plan and a purpose and that God's plan and purpose is greater than anything we would ever find in life. Better than anything we would ever accumulate in life. What should a profit a man gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So there is a security in our life that God promises us as we took of communion that our sins are forgiven because of the death of Christ upon the cross and it's not a manipulative measure of getting and, do, and doing. It's a matter of receiving because He loves us and from a perspective of love we are then building a life that is going to go on for an eternity. And it isn't about what we've missed and what has gone wrong. It's where we are at and where we are going. And how that God is going to work in our life. My mother, at 97, couldn't see, couldn't hear, and it was hard for her to get around, but she had a prayer list of 120 people. I know I've said this over again, but just the idea. She had a prayer list of 120 people that she prayed for every day. Whenever my, um, there was a need that came up. You know, Rhonda's told this story, but like I said, I'm getting older and dementia's setting in. The, the first thing, the most thing I miss most about my life is my mind. So anyhow, <laughs> told you the story before. That's a little joke. All right, but. But um, one of my, my one brother was concerned about telling my mother about a certain situation that happened because my mom would get upset. And the lady at the facility, the home where my mom was staying, said, your mother is not going to be upset. Your mother is going to pray for that person. So my mom at 97 can't see very well, can't hear very well, doesn't get around very well, but she is a determined person. I mean, she wasn't, you know, she was a very determined individual. And every day she would pray for 120 people and she would start with number one and go through 120. She would remember everyone by name and all of us <laughs> were on that list because she would pray for us. So in 97, she wasn't crying about how life had left her behind she wasn't angry about what she had missed. She was seeing the opportunity to pray for where she was and what was going on around her and always making adjustments. When she went into the um, high-rise, you know, she, she baked, she, it was funny, I thought, she would make soup. And I'd say, Mom, why are you making soup? She said, well, I don't even like this soup, but everybody else does, so I always make it for them. She wouldn't, even, she wouldn't even eat it. But everybody would come in with their bowls, and she's like a soup kitchen, you know, giving out bowls of soup to the neighbors in the hallway, you know. Mom, you know, Alice McGee has soup. It's soup day, you know, and they all go down, down the hallway, and everybody bring in their bowl, and she'd give them soup, you know. And she'd make the soup my dad loved. She wouldn't eat, she wouldn't eat it. She didn't like it. But other people like There's another time, you know. So she always did these things. And even whenever she couldn't see, she would know where to put the things on the stove and how she would make her cookies. She would do it all by feel. So she didn't get angry that she couldn't see very well. When she, she would call, she got in with the blind association. And you would call her up. And she'd say, I can't talk right now. I'm listening to a book. And she'd hang up. <laughs> you know? 
So, you know, there was, she was just this type of a person. So she wasn't angry about getting old, and she wasn't angry about what had gone on. She didn't understand. She, didn't, you know, she never said she understood why my brother died and my, you know, my, my dad's death and all those things. She never, she'd talk about them, but she would always come back with, well, God has a way of working things out. Because she had a faith in the present and the future. And see, this is where Jesus is looking at the disciples here, and he's, he's challenging them. Now, do you, can you discern the signs of the times? Do you not see that the Messiah is come? You know, he's challenging these, these Pharisees and Sadducees and, and the disciples. No one could do these signs unless God were with him. An evil and wantous generation is looking after the signs. And only a sign, the only sign you'll get is the sign of Jonah. What's Jonah? Getting swallowed by a fish. No. Sign of being in the heart, in the belly of the whale, great fish for three days. Sign, Jesus Christ dead in the earth, three days back to life. So with this challenge to the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these first verses here, with this challenge given to the Pharisees, Sadducees, and to the disciples, Jesus gets in the boat. He got in the boat with his disciples and he starts to the other side, verse 5 and 6. As they were going to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring bread. Well, you know, it's very important to bring bread. McDonald's is closed. Sheets hasn't built there yet. And the restaurant that was over there is closed for remodeling. No. They had forgotten to bring lunch. They had forgotten to pack their lunch, and there's no fast food. And also, they were meeting other people on the other side, and they were perhaps expecting them to bring food over with them so they would all have a meal afterwards, after they got to the other side. So Jesus is challenging them that they are a captive audience here. Did you ever feel like things are all closed in and you just got nowhere to go and nobody to listen to? Or no one's listening to you and your prayers don't go through the ceiling and all that kind of stuff? Well, here are the disciples... They're with Jesus, and they forgot to bring lunch. Jesus says to them, this is a crazy thing, okay? Keep a sharp eye out. You know, monsters on the Sea of Galilee. Keep a sharp eye out for Pharisees and Sadducees. For their, what? For their yeast. You know, it's like, here we are in a boat, Keep a sharp eye out for the great fish in the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is just a lake. You can see across it, okay? And keep a sharp eye out for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're going to be attacking by boat. No, they're yeast. So they just left the Pharisees and Sadducees. What did they want of Jesus? They pressed Jesus to prove himself to them that they must have a sign of their own choosing. That's what translation has that. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they were just pushing Jesus for a sign. Now, everything that Jesus had done was not good enough. They wanted a sign of their own choosing. Pharisees, Sadducees, be aware, guys, you forgot your lunch. 
Be aware of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then he says, I know what you're doing. Why all these worried whispers about forgetting lunch? Get the picture? Pharisees and Sadducees just left on the shore, got in the boat, headed over, the other side, forgot lunch. Jesus says, watch out for the Pharisees and Sadducees and their yeast. Oh, we forgot lunch. Jesus is mad at us. We don't even have any crumbs. How can he divide crumbs? Because what brought up in the next few verses the loaves and the fishes, the five loaves and the seven loaves, that miracle. They were, Jesus is telling them, don't be so caught up like the Pharisees and the Sadducees that you have to have your own miracle to prove that who I am. You've, you're, you're trying to, here I am in the boat, and you're talking about not having bread, as if bread is a problem. Here I am, the Lord of all creation. Peter, don't you remember whenever you threw out the net and you pulled in the net and there were so many fish you couldn't even get in? Don't you remember the five loaves and the two fishes? I mean, he talks about it here in just, just a minute. Don't you remember the five loaves of bread and, and the 5,000 people uh, and the fragments that were picked up? Don't you remember the seven loaves that, that, were, that fed over 4,000 and how many baskets you collected? Haven't you realized that bread isn't the problem? Divine provision isn't the problem. Getting is not the problem. Be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees. So, I was, I was, you know, you don't know what was going on. There's no written record of what happened to these disciples in the boat, okay? There's nothing there that tells us what the disciples were talking about. All we have is an answer that is given. From the answer that is given, we're just kind of, guessing, that they were pressing Jesus inside of themselves in their whispering, what do you think he's going to do? Think he's going to get bread again and going to multiply it like 5,000? You know, do you think he's going to tell us to get a fish out of the, out of the sea and, you know, and that we're going to eat it? How do you think he's going to prove it? How is he going to prove it? It's like Jesus telling him, stop. Stop trying to be like the Pharisees and push me push me into trying to prove myself over and over and over again. Haven't you realized that the bread is not the problem? The problem is the yeast. Okay, what is the yeast? Now, I'm not a baker, but I remember, <laughs> talking about my mom, I remember my mom with the farm, she would always bake bread. I, mean, I don't know how many, how many days a week she would bake bread. And we had this big pan, bread pan. <laughs> and she'd start out with this little thing in the bottom. And she'd put a towel over it or whatever, like, almost like a tablecloth, special tablecloth. I still remember it. It's like a linen thing, you know. You only use that for the bread. Okay, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know one cloth from another cloth from another. But a few hours later, what, do you, what did you have? A big thing, you know? You know? And in my, you know, I don't, you know, I don't understand the workings of yeast, but you put it in there and it works. It works on its own. 
And what Jesus is saying, be aware of the yeast, that be aware of the things that sound so simple and indoctrinating that contaminate everything that you believe. Have you ever met people that are contaminated with their belief? They have one crazy thought, and it has totally contaminated everything that they believe. And sometimes I run into people who are against God and against the church, and they've got a little yeast that it started out with. And they are totally against everything, everything that even resembles Christianity or Christ. This person who was angry this week had some yeast of anger. And what did it do? It infiltrated everything in his life, his children, his wife, his car. I mean, he was complaining. I mean, he has a car, and the son says, the son said to him, you have the same car I do. I was looking, when he was leaving, I was looking out there to see what kind of car he had. You know, let's see if it was Mercedes or something, you know. But, you know, it, it, you know, it was like everything was wrong with everything. There was a little yeast. The yeast of the Pharisees was in contaminated, that contaminated his thoughts and the yeast of anger. Well, the Pharisees, their doctrines, their ways, their beliefs had contaminated the entire Jewish religion. And Jesus came to fulfill the promises that were given to the prophets not to fulfill the contaminated aspects of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And sometimes we are like the Pharisees and Sadducees. We have contaminated aspects. Well, unless God does this this way, I'm not going to believe. And what about this? And what about all the... the, the, the poverty in the world and the, and the starving children and the, the people who, you know... God didn't create that, we did. The greed of individuals have created that. And God is working through Christians and Christian organizations to help relieve those things. But sometimes, well, dictators and governments and religions have contaminated the beliefs in a society to the point that the people suffer. Well, the disciples in the last part of verse 12 says they said they got it. That he wasn't concerned about eating, but he's concerned about the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was concerned about that kind of teaching infiltrating their thoughts and their ways. Now, said all of that, say this. We've spoken about five loaves and two fishes many times. Five flat pancakes and two, three, five, five loaves, two fish. Five flat pancakes and two sardines. That's what you're talking about because that's a kid's lunch. And Jesus received that, blessed it, gave it to the disciples, and they went out and fed. Fed to 5,000 plus women and children. Now, what has happened to Christianity? Imagine that. Dave McGee's got an answer. What has happened to Christianity? What has happened, thought, is that we sit and wait for somebody to come and feed us. I've got faith. But do you ever think, and and God does provide, not not knocking that, not saying that we sometimes there's a time to wait, but sometimes there's a time to act 
upon what God has given us. Cabby, come up here. She didn't know I was going to do this. Doe, come here. I told Doe, but I didn't get a chance to tell Tabby. So <laughs> Tabby's totally blind as to what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm pregnant. You shouldn't do this to me. <laughs> now, one of the aspects of what God does is sometimes he takes what we give him and blesses it, and it comes back as an idea. Doe had an idea going back to school and getting another job. She did it. God blessed an idea. Tabby did the same thing. She went back to school. Now, God was blessing her as a waitress, but now you are, what's your job? I didn't even ask. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I didn't get a job. I got fired yesterday. Oh. <laughs> Basically, medical assistant. Medical assistant. So she went back to school. You see, what we give to God sometimes isn't loaves and fishes. Well, it's always loaves and fishes, and that we sit down and we eat it. But sometimes what we give to God is ourselves. And what he blesses is an idea. An idea to change our future, not only feed us a meal. God blessed the, Greg. He got a new job not too long ago. And, and others, I'm, you know, I don't want to leave anybody out. Joe started a new business on his own. You know? So sometimes what happens is when we give what we give to God, we like, we like to sit back and let God, you know, let the guys come around and feed us and we pick up the fragments and we go away and say, wow, aren't we lucky? But Sometimes God does that. Like yesterday, I went to the game, Penn State game. You know? And on somebody else, you know, invited us to go, and we went, and we had very nice, perfect seats. Couldn't have better seats. It's just that they didn't win. But anyhow, <laughs> you know, we were blessed that way, and we had a wonderful day. But yet, that's, that's a blessing, but yet there are things that God does in our life when we put it in his hands. It comes back as ideas. It comes back as uh, not only setting down and eating a lunch, but it's coming to an idea of a plan, a purpose, an idea, an act of faith. So God has a way of taking our five loaves and two fishes and blessing them away that gives us a new life. <laughs> All are the same and of the same value. God has blessed us over and over and over again. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that was easy, huh? Yeah. I got to get the easy button. <laughs> that was easy. Shall we stand? <laughs> so here we are. What idea? What five loaves and two fish? Everything that God wants us to do is greater than what we have the ability to do. Because if we have the ability to do it, we don't need his help. And God isn't manipulative. Don't be so preoccupied with getting that you can't see God giving. So God is giving to us his promises, 
his blessing, his forgiveness. Why is forgiveness so important? Forgiveness is important because it lets go of all of our past failures. Your past failures cannot dictate to you your future. Not as a Christian, because God doesn't remember them. Our past successes are not to determine our future, because our best is still in front of us. So God is at work in our lives, and he wants us to take our whatever it is and put it in his hands and allow him to bless it, and don't allow the yeast of the Pharisees that type of thinking of, well, God, you've got to prove yourself one more time or I'm not going to believe. Don't allow the yeast of the Pharisees to infiltrate your thinking because God has a way of loving you, keeping you, blessing you, and working through your life in a very real way. Amen? amen. Do you believe that? Say amen. amen. Shake somebody's hand, tell them God loves them, so do you. <laughs> oh, what, really? <laughs>